This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney. When one of the great living mystics, Richard Rohr, writes, all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. Do we just skim by it and look for the next great quote? Or do we allow this truth to utterly change our relationship with God, humanity, and reality itself? And if we accept letting go as the key to transformation, the question becomes how? How is each life-altering step of the spiritual journey somehow about letting go? Well, my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, is the answer to that question. My dream is that everyone who reads this will open up to the possibility that to engage everything from the concrete to the cosmic and from the tiniest arguments with your partner to the biggest social tragedies of our time without losing our joy, we have to learn how to let go. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We have such an amazing episode and a brand new series we're kicking off um, about ghosts and ghouls and supernatural, spiritual kind of things. And uh, it's going to be great. So we're so excited you've joined us for this. Um, But before we jump into it, let's do some introductions. My name is Keith Giles. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm the author of the best-selling Jesus Un series on deconstruction and reconstruction. And uh, the recently released Sola Mysterium celebrating. Oh my God, who the hell cares? The beautiful uncertainty of everything. Uh, And the soon to be released Sola Deus uh, coming hopefully very, very soon. Uh, Anyway, I'm joined by my co hosts, uh, Katie, Shonda, December, and sometimes Matt. Say hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. Keith, where's the Sola Scriptorum? Oh no, that one's been done. That's been done. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Okay. We're adding. We're, we're moving forward here. You know, we're adding. Uh, think, I think. Speaking of all things um, supernatural, I am the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community, uh, among other things. So this topic is super fun, super exciting for me. I can't wait to hear everyone's stories. Hey everybody, this is December Rose, your neighborhood girlfriend, and um, I'm excited about. <laughs> <laughs> the topics today. I have a lot of experience in this realm as far as on the receiving end of encounters, uh, mysterious encounters from the third kind, whatever that's called. So I'm excited yeah. um, to talk about it. And uh, hopefully y'all will find this interesting as well. I am Shonda Ja. I'm the author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us and The Ancestors We Need to Free, and really what are ancestors other than ghosts. There's actually an answer to that. That's not a declarative statement, uh, and I hope we get into that during this series. Maybe we could be inclusive of ghosts? Mm. We don't need to exclude them from our ancestors? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. We definitely want to exercise diversity. <laughs> Just because they're transparent yes. doesn't mean that Go- they're not one of yeah. us. Yeah. Right? Ghost equity and equality. <laughs> now you got now, now you got me thinking. Um, I am sometimes Matt, and sorry, 
Sorry, Keith, to interrupt you with those sound bites. You remember back in the day, Ralph yeah. used to try to mess it. He tried to trip us up with sound bites at the least opportune time. And yeah. I think I want to bring that back. So y'all better be <laughs> on your toes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I got, I got a whole host of, of a soundboard here. It's full of things I'm trying to use today. But um, I am I am Matthew J. DiStefano, uh, sometimes host, sometimes producer, always looking for a good time. And, and, and though I don't have many experiences with this kind of stuff, or at least I wasn't aware of, of them. I'm interested about this series, but I gotta, I gotta tell Katie that I gotta disappoint you. I don't have stone thoughts today. And here's why I can't be stoned and listening to scary stories, man. Fair. (laughs) Have you ever had bad trips? I'm not trying to have one. Yeah. Maybe that's wise. Self-preservation. It's a good thing. I've gotten wiser in my in my old years. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, my my dopamine fix is not in. So what what are we going to do as a substitute here? I think our I think our whole series will be a dopamine fix for you. Today. This seems, this seems right up your alley, Katie. Yes. <laughs> and for right. those who don't know, I have spent time editing Katie's other podcast, so I know what Katie's all about. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. We're we're on her porch. We're on her porch with this one. That's right. Did, when I was sending those to you, I thought, oh, God, my woo flag is flying. It's going to see everything. <laughs> everything. Just I see out. all things now. The emperor is unclothed here. Um, okay. So in that case, should we go right to our wonderful, beautiful, awesome heretic of the week? Um, this is a choir author. So be prepared to be raptured and taken to another realm as you listen to our heretic of the week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Eric English, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Hi Eric. <laughs> oh, Eric. Man, so great to have you as our Heretic of the Week. This is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so as always, we want to know, uh, Eric, why would anybody call you a heretic? That is a good question. I don't know why anybody would call me a heretic, but for some reason they do. Uh, if you had to guess, what would you think? What what could it be? It could either be uh, me trying to be like Jesus, who was also a heretic, or it could oh, be uh, my view of the Bible or deconstruction or being part of progressive Christianity, the devil's work. <laughs> what What oh, is yes. the devil's work exactly? Yeah, what is that? It's a secret. It's a secret agenda. I'm yes. not initiated. I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, so you mentioned like a couple of things there. Um, the way you view the Bible. Uh, what is what is that? What are some of those views that you have? Um, and I and, and I know you you blog. You're on Patheos, so I mean, you're kind of vocal about some of those things. But like when let's say this. What are the kinds of topics and things that when you post on them, you get the biggest pushback and the biggest, you know, uh, the pitchforks come out and the, and the torches and all that? Well, outside of criticizing Keith Giles. Oh, well, um, you got to be careful there. <laughs> is, is there a blog about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. That's, yes. that, that one got the most comments that I've ever gotten on an article before. <laughs> oh, you touch not the Lord's anointed, my brother. <laughs> oh, probably. Um, you know, there are hot button topics like uh, talking about the inerrancy of the Bible or uh, its authority in any way whatsoever. will mm-hmm. get people out of the woodwork. 
Um, anytime you mess around with uh, e- evangelicalism and and stuff like that, you can get people out of the woodwork. Perhaps, but you know, I, I write a lot about scripture and my opinion on it, and uh, try to respond to people in culture and society, evangelicals, writers who are uh, saying things that I don't believe are true and are leading people the wrong way. So yeah. most of the time, my good intentions are met with, he's a heretic. Yeah, of course. Uh, you're trying to lead people astray and all that. Yeah, I get all that too. Um, but I'm curious. I mean, like, obviously, I, I, I give you the benefit of the doubt, Eric, that you're not okay. really trying to lead people astray. So what are you trying to do? Like, why why do you keep poking the bear uh, if you know that every time you write about that, people are going to get upset? So why do you keep writing about that? What, what's the What's your real agenda for writing about those topics? Is it just clicks? You just want clicks? Is that all that? You're just trying to get people pissed off? Or I, I know it isn't that, but wh- why are you trying to do that? Why do you keep doing that? So one of my main inspirations was Soren Kierkegaard, who would oh, yeah. also poke, ah. poke the bear. Yes. And uh, so I, I tend to follow his sort of uh, indirect method, his ironical methods and stuff like that. The idea being that uh, if you... I am very sorry that you hear that. Um, yes, I did hear <laughs> your dog. Um, yes. uh, that if basically if you uh, uh, it can have some sort of like extreme position on one side, uh, that it's a lot easier to move someone towards the middle. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, it's funny you said Kierkegaard, because I, I love Kierkegaard. When I first yeah. discovered him, uh, I think I was, uh, it was like 10 or so years ago. I mean, I was a philosophy major, but um, oh, good for we, you. Ne- we never really we never really got deep into Kierkegaard. It wasn't until actually I'd already graduated and was getting deeper in my own studies into, uh, you know, Christian uh, po- apologetics, but also just, you know, things like that, philosophy and stuff. And I came across Kierkegaard and I fell in love with that guy. Oh my gosh, did that guy... Talk about brass balls. He was amazing, yeah. right? He wrote a series of articles in the local in his new newspaper, just relentlessly attacking uh, the church of his day. And and those are some of my favorite writings of his. Just uh, and what's funny is I, I don't know if you, you I'm sure you noticed this too. Even though he was writing a long time ago, everything he is saying about the church, every, all the criticisms he's making, it could be it's as relevant as today. You could publish that stuff right now. And maybe yep. tweak some of the names uh, of the people he's critiquing, but otherwise, it's dead on. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's one of the reasons I all too I as well fell in love with his writings and just uh, to me, he's a cultural prophet. He predicted yeah. exactly what would happen if the church went a certain direction. It went that direction, and he was right on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know about Kierkegaard mostly through um, a good friend and a roommate who I think her dissertation was actually on Kierkegaard. But you know, I've never actually read him. And so I'm so happy that he is still making the rounds. And uh, that's might be inspiring me. Well, you know, before Kierkegaard, Eric, tell us a little bit about what happened before you found Kierkegaard. Uh, where did you start? Did you start in this place of, of radical critique? Or do you have origins in the evangelical church? How did you get from point A to point uh Point K with Kierkegaard. So uh, I was not raised in the church. I became a Christian when I was 16. Uh, accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior from a Baptist evangelist and uh, uh, began a- attending a Baptist local a fundamentalist Baptist church there. Got discipled. Um, so was very well trained in, in the 
the art of being a Baptist, and because um, <laughs> there is an art to it. Yes, there is. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, and then just went to college after that, and uh, it was an evangelical uh, college. Was going to be a youth pastor. Got my first job as a youth pastor, and was fired eight months later. So Ooh. for political reasons, not because I was a bad youth pastor. Um, so. Uh, I had seen the underbelly of the institution and I quit ministry right then and there said I would not, well, I should say formal professional ministry right then and there. I said, I won't do this again. And, uh, so I'd been at that point a Christian for like seven years. Uh, and then I said, I need to, to look at what this means. So, so truth has really been my guiding principle throughout my whole faith journey, not the Bible or uh, some predisposition to being in the church or anything like that. So um, I've just sort of always let that be my guide. And um, it's led me on an incredible journey, which eventually led me from, uh, you know, being a fundamentalist. My wife was a K King James only Baptist fundamentalist when I met her. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was some fun times. I bet. (laughs) So we sort of deconstructed together and um, I ended up going to, after college, going to graduate school uh, at two different schools to learn historical theology and philosophy. Um, and that's why I, I, you know, got educated in the, we'll say, I guess, orthodoxy of the church and the evolution of theology throughout history. And then um, just learning about how to think properly and in philosophy and stuff like that. And those two things together really coalesced. And that's where I met Kierkegaard too, was in a philosophy class. I had a whole uh, seminar class on him. And so, uh, yeah, the rest was history after that. Wow. So um, what was, I mean, so you mentioned the uh, negative experience with, as the youth pastor. Uh, And uh, what, first of all, when you said that you had one bad experience and in that moment you said, I'm done, I'm never going, I'm never doing that again. I'm like, wow, dude, I wish I had learned that lesson because I, I unfortunately was a glutton for punishment. I went through, I had to go through several years and many, many <laughs> of those types of experiences before I finally said, I am done working for a Christian ministry or church ever again. Uh, so kudos to you for learning your lesson early on. Um, but I'm just curious, like what, were there any, uh, in, in your deconstruction process were was there like a theological thing that kind of, yeah, a, lot, a lot of times people talk about sort of the first thread that they they pull on that sort of leads to the whole you know unraveling that comes later. What were what were some of those first things for you theologically uh, that you started to question? Uh, to comment briefly on quitting ministry right then oh, and there, okay. I had definitely seen uh, bits and pieces leading up to that throughout various like internships and stuff like that. So okay. I, I did have a little bit. Uh, I would never. Uh, suggest to anybody that they just quit something then and there when you've studied for so many years to do that one thing. So, yeah. but anyway, um, so yeah, um, for me, it was really the issue of inerrancy. Um, I want, I'll give you a, an interesting story. I was, uh, in a prophets class in one of my schools and this, uh, I think it was on Daniel and my professor, who I'm not going to uh, say his name, but he's a well-known uh, theologian in and, and evangelical circles, has was trying to make sense of a, pro- a prophecy that Daniel was talking about. So he says like uh, uh, that there were like seven nations that 
um, were part of something. I don't even know what the prophecy was. So he's going through trying to name all seven of what nations that Daniel's talking about. It's some of these nations I had never heard of before. And then I was thinking, oh, I raised my hand. I was like, well, what about like Egypt and Mesopotamia and Sumeria and, you know, like all these obvious ones. And he's like, well, that would make it more than seven, wouldn't it? And I was. Oh, so it can't be. Yeah. I was like, and he's like, and then he, listen to this. He says, if you want inerrancy to be true, then you can't think that way. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great (laughs) logic. Well-known theological professor Uh actually said those words to me in class. (laughs) So that this was, was when you that, were in undergrad. No, graduate school. Oh, my in goodness, seminary. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. So well, um, when we get offline, can you tell me the name? Because I really want to know the name. I want. I want a blog right. entry about this now. Oh yes. <laughs> Write a Papio's oh, article about it. Yes, please. Yeah. So just the uh, uh, the um, obsession and idea and idolatry that takes place with the Bible, really yes. just and it, so kind of my kickoff into um, this whole, like uh, as a result of this process was in 2013, I wrote an article for Pathios um, called the, the Bible's not the word of God, a polemic against Christendom. Damn. And uh, it went, it went semi-viral. I mean, like 30,000 shares over a hundred thousand views. I mean, it was really, it really just lit a fire under people and, uh, if you want to talk about being labeled a heretic, that was my baptism into it. Uh-huh. So um, that uh, really, and just reading through the hundreds and hundreds of comments that uh, came as a result of that and just seeing how people reasoned and because everybody wants to give you their opinion on it oh, and course. why you're wrong. And so, and I read through a lot of them until I couldn't stomach it anymore. And yeah. then, um, so I really just, in that article, I think, creates the case it was a polemic so it's kind of a poetic piece it's not like a normal article that you might read um comparing the bible to uh the golden calf and just showing how this between the similarities of the two and just you know concluding that look evangelicals in many cases idolize the bible and that's your that's your sin that you're going to have to account for Mm-hmm. So that really set a fire under people and kind of kickstarted uh, my uh, career and, if you will, into defending uh, rational views of scripture. I think that is so fascinating, Eric. I've had the exact same experience uh, for, for that exact same thing about the Bible. And it's uh, it's really, I mean, I'll, you talk about reading the comments. Um, honestly, by reading the comments to those kinds of articles when I post them, it's really, it's what's helped me to at least, um, I, I don't want to say understand because I kind of really don't understand. I still don't understand, but I mean, at least I could comprehend or grasp, um, the logic quote unquote that people are working from who hold that view, this sort of, uh, biblicist view where it's father, son, and Holy Bible. And they mm-hmm. elevate the scriptures to that level um, because you, when you read the comments, you see the way they talk and you see the, you know, the reasoning and you can, again, I don't understand it. And I, and, I, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, come against. But actually the, by reading those comments and, and, and understanding a little bit more of the way they see the Bible versus the way, you know, you and I might see it, um, that it helped me sort of come up with, with like am, ammunition for the next article. Cause yeah. I wanted to, Oh, let me, I need to address that or some, uh, yeah. that's, or here's, here's an assumption you're making 
and I, and you need to address that, right? Um, and then you run up with these very circular back and forth reasonings with people, right? Because um, I don't know about you, but I've run into this thing where people will say, well, you know, you wouldn't know anything about you know, Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible and that kind of thing. Like, yes, but the Bible says that you can know Christ personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, you know, so you mean, it's like, but then they keep going back. Well, but the Bible's what says it. So therefore it's the Bible that we're going to elevate. But then the Bible doesn't point to itself. The Bible is pointing you to Christ. And yes, but you wouldn't know that if it wasn't for the Bible. Therefore the Bible's, that's why the Bible's more important. And it just goes round and round and round. It's so insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a psychosis. So, <laughs> so like one of the goals of my book on enlightenment is to help provide a correction for that type of thinking. Yes. So hopefully that will um, resonate with some people. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell us a little more about that. Like, how do you, how do you do yeah. that in the book? So um, the way the book is laid out is it's, it starts out with uh, sort of the traditional evangelical view on a particular subject. And then I work through what has been my thinking, uh, my way of approaching or perspective on that particular issue. And then use sort of progressive Christianity as a uh, environment for uh, evaluation uh, because really it's, I think it's the best environment for that. And uh, not that you have to be a progressive Christian, but it provides the open space for thinking. And so um, I use, that's why I use that. And then uh, sort of have uh, conclude with what my own conclusions have been on uh, that particular topic because of that way of thinking. And so I bring someone through this process of thinking that they can, that they can use and apply throughout the whole rest of the book and for really anything. And it's really simple. It's critical thinking. Yeah. Imagine that. Well, one thing I, uh, one thing that I really appreciate about your, your book, Eric, which I think sets it apart a little bit from, I mean, you know, let's face it, there's a ton of deconstruction books out there. There's a lot of great books already out there um, dealing specifically with some of these topics but what I think sets your book apart, and so I want you to talk about this a little bit and why you why you did this, um, it's almost set up to be like a discussion guide or like a small group study guide. I mean, like you didn't write your book and then like, oh, then I'll write a study guide or, a, or discussion guide to go with it. Like you made that whole thing part of your book. So it really invites the reader to not just read what you've written, but then stop and ask even if they're alone, right? A whole bunch of mm-hmm. really probing questions. So like, I, I, talk about why you did that. And, and um, I, cause I just think that is so fascinating that you, you took that approach. So like you said, there are a lot of uh, books out there on deconstruction. There are a, a, a few less on reconstruction, but there's still plenty out there. But so what I wanted to do was um, in a sort of creative way, um, create something that would mentor people through this whole entire process and include sort of indirectly things like critical thinking and hopefully the but hopefully the book will invite people to come up with their own conclusions on things. Um, I have I do put my own conclusions in there, but only as a way of demonstrating a way in which you can conclude something using the logic and critical thinking that is is there in that book. So it's, and it's not a, it's not a polemic. It's not, it's not to be uh, written against like evangelicalism. I use evangelicalism as sort of the starting point because a lot of people deconstructing come out of evangelicalism. And I am critical at times because I think in some ways it needs to be. And, but I also want to be, allow people in that community to have a, a play, be introduced to sort of the, nicer side or the 
user-friendly side of progressive Christianity. Because let's face it, a lot of people in progressive Christianity, it could be very easy for them to like, they, you know, uh, set up evangelicalism and just like tear it all down and, um, you know, uh, have kind of like uh, a harsh attitude or like be people might think of them as being overly aggressive or yeah. uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So I wanted to show that that's not the case in most cases. That's not the case. Right. And that, um, that progressive Christianity is not a, a uh, religion. It's not another gospel. No, it is a um, place, a temporary place for people to go. That is safe for them to doubt, to interact with other people who are also on a journey and intelligent people as well. Yeah. And that they can come out on the other side feeling better about their faith. I really like that, Eric. One thing I didn't want to do was, um, you know, the, some of the, a lot of the criticism is, and, and early on this was happening, where people would just deconstruct their faith. And so it sort of sent them into atheism. Yes. And because they would just destroy it and not go through any sort of reconstruction into yeah. something that's that they can have or hold on to. And so that is another reason why I wanted to make sure that people were doing this process properly. I, I just love this. I love it that you're explaining this and leading people through a process. And I've definitely experienced what you described as progressive, uh, a lot of, uh, not a lot, but the loudest voices maybe in progressive Christianity um, can sometimes be fundamentalist about yeah. it mm -hmm. and they yes. just expect oh, people yes. to jump on board without going through uh -huh. a process and that's just not a reasonable for the for the human experience. Um so I love that mm -hmm. you're that you're recognizing that and that you're giving people options because I encounter this so often when people are deconstructing they think there's no option except to um be and an, not a believer which is fine if that's if that's the direction that they're led to go but there actually is a place within the Christian tradition that they can land. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's awesome. And I'm kind of curious, Have is that a place that you've landed now? Like, do you just, do you still desc describe yourself as a Jesus follower? Yeah, absolutely. I still go to church, still pray, still do all the same stuff that I used to do. Um, but I do it with a different perspective and I do it with, um, in, in a way that I feel at least, um, we're called to do it and from Jesus. Cause I, I, uh, I'm currently working on a, a new project about what to do mm -hmm. after you're, you've done this whole process of deconstruction, reconstruction, like how do you get back into community with people? So um, I think it's an important piece of the, of the whole process here. And I think that too many people, like we, we talk about the nuns and stuff like that. I think that, that just for a long time, there was too many people who didn't know what to do or where to go after they would go through something like this process. And because people like, how do you go back to your old church? Maybe you don't, but how do you go back to your old church after experiencing something like this? You know, right. you, you're going to go back into the same uh, place that caused a lot of your problems. So, and, and, and on enlightenment in the postscript at the end, I have a, a, a section on this the psychological effects of this process because it can cause trauma, yes, uh, especially if it's not, yep you know, things aren't done properly. And so I assure the person as, you know, they've gone through this process that other people are going through this process with you. You're going to have even more doubts at certain times about things. You're going to feel uneasy. You're going to wonder why even do any of this. Um, it's, you know, the faith isn't even worth it is my 
going through this process even worth it? Does God even exist? I mean, you're going to ask all these questions and go through all of these things. And I think it's important for people to realize that they're not the only ones that are experiencing that. And if you trust the process that, and you land on the other side, there's good things that can come from that, better things than what you've experienced. Yeah. I think all of that is so important, Eric. I think, um, number, like you said, letting people know they're not alone. They're not the only ones going through these kinds of, you know, uh, questions and, and, and the pain of it, um, that it is traumatic, that there is a sort of like almost a grief process that you have to go through and all this. And I outline uh, the grief stages. Yes. As, like some modified grief stages as yeah. because of it. Oh you know? yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, the importance of sort of reconnecting, finding community, maybe, maybe the community that you left, but maybe not, maybe, but maybe redefining community, uh, finding community with different ground rules. And that's so important because mm-hmm. you need, we still need some kind of community. And I think that's really important um, that mm-hmm. you, you emphasize that too. I think um, uh, this sounds great. I mean, I, I'm so glad you wrote this book, Eric, and that you, you took the time to think it through and walk the people through these kinds of things. I also want to say, I want to back up to something else you were saying earlier too, that what you're doing in the book is not telling people what to think. Um, but trying to help them understand a better way of like how to think about mm-hmm. some of these questions and issues. Um, like I, I try to do the same thing too. in A lot of my books too, is to say, I, I don't, I don't expect that at the end of my book that I will have changed your mind, but at least if nothing else, you'll understand why I think this way, right? You'll, you'll, you'll be able to step back and say, okay, I may not agree with where Keith lands, but at least I can see how he got there. I can see, okay, if this, then that, and then, okay, because of this, then this. And um, and I think it, taking that approach, giving people permission that at the end they don't have to agree with you, they don't have to land in the same place, I think it's so helpful because it kind of takes the pressure off. Uh, they don't feel like, well, if I don't agree with you in the first couple of pages, I'm just going to toss this book because there's nothing in here for me. That there's still something valuable in your book for people because, again, um, you're not necessarily trying to get them to agree with you at the end, but you do want them to to think through some things, right? Use some logic, use some critical thinking, uh, and apply that to whatever it is they do believe at this at wherever they're at, at the moment. Um, if you're going through deconstruction, you're kind of already doing that, but I think it's important too to hold loosely to this idea of like Katie alluded to a minute ago that deconstruction there's not like one way, there's not like the right way to deconstruct or even to reconstruct. Everybody's going to have a different process. Everyone's going to go through different stages and, and not everyone's going to land in the same place. And that's okay too. Giving people permission for that is so important. So um, really grateful, Eric, for the time and the energy and the work you put into this book. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It, I think, and that's all very intentional too, because in a lot of cases, the church has not given, given permission for people to doubt, to, no. um, ask question, hard questions. I recently um, uh, heard a, um, a soundbite from Elisa Childers, Childers, who wrote another gospel, when she was posed the question, "If what should people do if they have doubts or have questions and stuff like that? And her answer was, study apologetics <laughs> as the solution to that. Sure. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of uh, a figurehead as an example in evangelical circles or leadership of the type of thinking that exists out there in regards to this. So let's yeah. have a process or let's create an environment uh, where people can freely think, experiment theologically and not be kicked out for it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny too. Um, cause in a way, I think part of my deconstruction process, I mean, in college I did, I got heavily into, you know, the apologetics thing and I had, I, my library, I guess I still have them. I haven't gotten rid of, rid of them yet, but I just, uh, like, um, J.P. Moreland and um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict and When Skeptics the Encyclopedia Ask. of Apologetics. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had all those and I had I had bookmarked and folded and underlined and memorized. I, I, I taught one time at one of my churches I was going to. I taught this whole thing uh, on apologetics and um, and it worked for a little bit, right? For, it gives you this false comfort that I have all the answers and that works for a while. It does work for a little bit. Until you start questioning those answers. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Is that true? And is that right? And so I, this is the thing, I think, where people like Alyssa Childers and Mike Winger and Sean McDowell and some of these others, they just don't understand what deconstruction is. They don't understand that, yes, I. what do I do if I've heard those answers? I've listened to those. Maybe even I've taught those those answers, but they don't work anymore. And, and I still have a question. Now what? Right? And they And they just don't seem to know how to how to react to that, right? So evangelicalism is built on an informational, biblical uh, world foundation or worldview, yes. which um, it creates an environment for questions slash answers, black and white thinking, yeah. bi- binary thinking, stuff like that, yeah. instead of having a perspective where being a Christian is a way of life. And that I think yes. that is that is the biggest distinction between the two. One is informational and one is more about praxis. Yes, absolutely. Yep, that's you and I are on the same page, there, Eric. And, yeah, and I don't see any argument. I don't see any argument against the way a person lives. If I'm out there loving other people, you're in, in the name of God. You're not going to come up with an argument that counters that. Well, and it yeah. strikes me too that like turning to apologetics is exactly it's a proof texting. It's mm-hmm. proof texting mm-hmm. with something mm-hmm. besides the Bible to bring yourself back to the same answer that you started with which is defeats the purpose of a question. Right. Yep. It also uses logical trickery and different things like that, yes. deception and things to sort of weave in and out to make your answers look a little tricky. It's actually the thing that we're warned about in the New Testament. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Eric, this has been great. Um, so tell us a little bit about, tell listeners, you know, where, where can they get the book? Uh, remind us of the title of the book. And if they want to know more about you and follow you, uh, where can they find you online? So the book is called Unenlightenment, and um, I have a website for it, unenlightenmentthebook.com, where they can get supplemental material, resources, uh, they can get in touch with me. I'm also doing this thing where if uh, people uh, in groups of five or larger are doing a study in it, um, that I would do a Zoom visit with them to uh, at some point to talk through some things or whatever, they can contact me, um, on the website for that as well. Um, and then, um, just for Pathios and my own podcast, you can just search under YouTube for unenlightenment and, uh, for Pathios unenlightenment. So is your podcast also called unenlightenment? Yep. Okay. Wow. There, how convenient. It's it's a whole enlightenment community. It is. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unenlightening one mind at a time. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. Awesome. Oh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us and being your heretic of the week. Um, By the way, thank you for waiting kind of a long time. I know we did that interview so long ago. 
but um, no! thanks for being patient. <laughs> we finally, finally found the perfect place for it. And uh, yeah, everybody go check out his book, um, Unenlightenment. It's really good. And um, I guess as a plug too, he'll be with me in um, Grand Rapids for Awaken Grand Rapids. He's He'll be one of our speakers there at that event. So check that out. Thank you, Eric. All right. So who's, in, who, who's uh, kicking us off on this uh, scary story, ghostly encounters episode? That's creepy. Yeah, now I understand why you're not you're not high right now. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to be high. That has dementor vibes. Yeah, that was a little scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like demonic possession level. Um, I'm gonna go back to my heretic happy hour origins and I'm gonna keep a tally as we go through this series to see who's had the the most crazy experiences. Um I kept a tally for like something earlier or really was early it, on was it the conspiracy theory series? yeah it was the conspiracy yeah, 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 theories. yeah yeah who's in and who's out thank good memory shonda you, thank you wow, i was just a, a fan at the time then. yes okay <laughs> um so i want to let's just take a quick poll like who who here has a ghost story me i have one i do one for sure yeah one one that happened to me directly and a couple that have happened to other friends of mine or family members cool shonda did you say yay or nay i do have one all right. I, I have like kind of one. So I think y'all are going to be all up on me. So I, I vote we just dive in and tell our stories and then we can talk about what's a ghost, what's not a ghost. Are they real, not real figments of our imagination? And yeah, are they sanctioned theory. by ghost, God? Ghost theory. Are they, are they sanctioned by God? And are they ancestors? Ooh. Yeah. And you'll have to educate me on that whole ancestor thing because um, I've been told that because I'm a white person, I really don't understand. I don't understand uh, what you mean when you're talking about these ancestor things, like and how it oh, might relate to man, these stories. But, joy, oh. uh, you make it I'm, sound like I suggested all white people don't know their ancestors. That's well, not what I, I said. I, I, I said only ninety percent. <laughs> <laughs> this white person, this white guy, doesn't. Just, I'll just say uh, fair. We we have a really rich interior life off when we're not recording. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> among us, as you can all tell. Absolutely. All right, who wants to go Wait, first? Matt? Wait, Matt, do you have a ghost story? Sorry. I I have a I have a story with a group home kid who was a notorious liar. Oh well. Okay. Well, so, well that's so interesting. I, so it's not violating confidentiality. I absolutely want to hear that at some point right. because yeah, I have a group I, yeah, home story okay. from a kid who legit um, was in the. Uh, that's okay. We'll trade group yeah. home stories. Okay. Okay. All right. So who who wants to jump in first? Who's got it? Who's so got Keith, it I think you should right get on. us off the ground. We'll get the campfire I think, going. I think someone, maybe someone who has who who is confident that they have the most amount of ghost stories. Oh, the most. December. This was all your idea. So uh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> your story. That's okay, actually a really okay. good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a couple. I got a couple of stories. Uh, most of them were from my childhood. So, for those of you who don't know, I'll start here. I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I came up in the Kingdom Hall around the time that I was fourteen. Um, my mother decided to leave. She got divorced, and she decided to disfellowship herself basically because you know they don't mm. sanction divorce so yeah. much so they'll they'll disfellowship you and she was like bye y'all i'm out so anyway 14 <laughs> we kind of got away from that but up until that time i was raised up in that faith and tradition and uh, one of the things that they taught us was the name of jehovah um is the is the name above all names so they placed more value on that name than jesus um, i actually uh-huh. hardly ever heard 
um, the name Jesus while I was there, which is interesting probably to a lot of people who that's their focal place. So in the kingdom hall, the focus is more on Jehovah. Of course, they call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So, Wait, so is anyhow. Jehovah God? Is Yeah. Yeah. Like the Almighty. God the Father, God the Parent, that God. Okay. Just making sure. Mm-hmm. Same Jehovah. Okay. Yeah. And so um, one of the things my mom taught us was, you know, and I was raised in a household where my mother had a lot of spiritual experiences. So she believed us when we tell her we saw something strange or something like that because she herself had a lot of encounters. Um, oh, so it was real for her. So it was easy for her to believe for us. And she would, my mom would handle us in a way that we're, uh, let, me, let me just give an example. So when I was younger, we all slept in the same room. Me and my brothers and sisters, we had bunk beds. The boys had a bunk bed. Uh, me and my little sister had a bunk bed. And then my oldest sister, she had her own room. But all the rest of us, the other four of us, shared a one room. And I would turn on the light and go out, like go to the bathroom or something, come back, and the light would be off when I came back. And I did this about three or four times, (laughs) and I knew it wasn't my brothers and sisters because they were actually asleep when this was happening. And there's all kinds of strange things in this. I have two or three stories just from this one house. And I came and told my mom... (laughs) And she handled us this way with everything. She didn't baby or coddle us about anything. And I mean about nothing. It was more discipline than nourishment. But, you know, I'm a good person to this day. So I give her credit for that. <laughs> um, and I came and told my mom, I was like, mom, the lights keep going off. Da, 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 da. And she was like, oh, pray about it. Uh, you know, the name of Jehovah is the most high. Um, you go tell them about, <laughs> she was like, go to bed, tell them about God. It was like, just, she was like, uh, uh, just, you know, say the Lord's name and go on and go to bed. So, um, I did wow. that and she sent me to bed. <laughs> I was like, okay. She so was I basically was like, she- proclaim Jesus to the ghosts. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. Not Jesus, but Jehovah at this time. Jehovah, my bad. Jesus. Yes. They're more focused on that name. Mm-hmm. So she was mm-hmm. like, just, you know, put it in the atmosphere, go to bed. <laughs> I was like, wow. but there's some strange stuff happening in the bedroom. And so anyway, I I, I didn't have no choice because, you know, I'm raising it for where you don't question or talk back or nothing. So I just went back in the room and I was like, God, you know, I did whatever. I, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I, I'm like, at this time I was probably like seven, eight. <laughs> I So I was just like, Okay, Jehovah. <laughs> it was so crazy. But guess what? Them lights stopped flickering though. Wow. So wow. Now, now listen. Um, that was one instance uh, in this house. In this same house, um, I used to have what night terrors. Is that what they call that? Yes. Like really bad nightmares. That, um, so yeah. I used to have a lot of um night terrors. Just, I used to uh suffer from that. Actually, I had that all the way from uh just above a toddler all the way up until about 12 or 13. So I used to pee the bed because I would get so scared in my dreams and I pee on myself. And um this was like uh this is in the same house so the same age and I got I had peed on myself and I had gotten up in the middle of the night to go find some dry clothes in the dryer in the washroom. And when I went in the washroom I stopped in the hallway because there was a tall, dark figure standing oh. in front of the washing machine oh. in the washroom. And it oh turned gosh. and looked at me. 
Now, oh, here's the thing. Oh, this is also a let me let me park right here and also say this is also why I cannot deconstruct myself down to there is no God. Because I've had too many spiritual encounters. Mm, yeah. So I know a lot of people are able to deconstruct themselves all the way down to I don't believe in God. God's not real. None of this shit is real. I cannot do that. I cannot mm. do that because I just had too many things happen in my life. So Anyway, I'm probably five, six years old. This is all around the same time. I'm standing there with my my wet pajamas, looking at this thing, which looks like a giant to me. Like the head of this thing is almost on the ceiling. Like this tall, dark figure. And I'm scared, shitless. I can't even really move. I'm just looking. And it does not speak to me, but it had the presence of a woman. I don't know how um, there was no face. But the the energy was female. I don't even know how to explain that. Yeah, I I really don't know how to explain that. So it was like, at first I was like terrified. But then I was like, okay, so you're not going to kill me or nothing. And then... And And, and do you do laundry? And do you do laundry? Yeah. At the washing machine. Uh, You got some dry pajamas you want (laughs) to... Anyway, finally I just was like, I turned around and ran down the hallway and got back in the bed. And I just slept in my wet clothes and I got up the next day and dealt with it. And so that was the second. Here's another one. And this is the last one I'm going to do because I really, I got, my childhood was littered with these things. Wow. So with these experiences. I just so got children on that, that That was pretty yeah. scary. True story. Mm-hmm. And I've only yep. told a few people that, uh, um, like a few, because, you know, and the reason is because everybody don't believe you. Uh, like you said, he said to you, you feel like that's some bullshit, right? Everybody yeah. don't believe you. Yeah. Listen, this 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 happened. Okay. Yeah. It happened, period. I will go to my grave. You can put me on a lie detector test. It will say she's telling the truth. So um I was nine or ten years old and I got sick at school. Um, I don't know if I was coming down with the floor or what, but I was feeling so terrible. And they called my mom who's at work and she could not get from work. So she called our I call her auntie, but she's really our close friend. Somewhere mixed around in there, they're probably related to us, but not directly. But since they're older, we just call them auntie. You know how that's just the culture. Mm-hmm. So my auntie, um, <clears throat> she is, my mom calls her and asks her, will she come and get me from school? And my aunt comes to get my aunt Betty, um, comes to get me and takes me to her house. Nobody is there. No, and these houses that were on the military base, I believe in these houses, most of the houses were on the military base. I'm trying to think of the name of this military base in Moses Lake, Washington, but it's slipping my mind. And all the floors are that tile, that really cheap square tiles that are real loud when you walk through the house. And this tile all through the house, no carpet. It's just like the cheapest floor you could put down, all this base housing. And um, she takes me to the house, puts me in the bed. And she says, I'm going to go get you some uh, cough med, some, you know, fever reducer, you know, children's time or whatever she's going to go get. She says, I'm going to go get this. I'll be right back. Stay in the bed. Nobody is in this house. Okay. Her daughter is gone. Who's much older than me. Her her daughter and my older sister are around the same age. So uh, my older sister is eight years older than me and they're in the same graduating class. So her daughter is like high school at my, where I'm at. She's gone to school. It's her only child that's still in the house her sons are grown and gone out the house i'm there by myself (laughs) by myself in the bed waiting for her to come back with some tylenol whatever she's coming back with soon as she go out the door maybe two or three minutes 
soon as I hear her car leaving the driveway and she's gone, maybe two or three minutes, all of a sudden, people walking all through the house. Footsteps. Mm. Loud. Like if you go into a, a corporate office and the women have their heels clicking on the ground, that's mm-hmm. this all through the house. Wow. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Here we go again. Because by wow. this time, I'm having this kind of stuff happen to me in my whole childhood. So I'm like, oh. I'm putting the cover over my uh, head and I'm, uh, I just only remember what my mom said to say. And at this mm-hmm. point, I'm so terrified. I don't know if anybody listening or any of you here can identify with being so terrified. You can't get a voice up to come out your yes. throat. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Have you ever been so scared? You cannot, yes. you're, you won't, you don't have a voice. You lost your whole voice instantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can't even get a peep out. <laughs> you just, I'm that terrified. Mm-hmm. And so I whispered, I'm just saying the name over and over. I, I'm going to tell you, it's going to sound so funny, but this is what I did. I just said, Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. You know? Wow. The house ceased. Whoa. Silence in the house. Wow. Silence in the Whoa. house. These this is are, my experience. Yeah. No, oh my gosh. These stories are cool. And I want to give some props to your mom for that first story for being yeah. like, I'm not going back in that room with her. I'm just going to tell her to say Jehovah. I'm not going to. Just gonna she has her own stories too. So she's, mm. she just is like, you be all right. No, you know, go back. <laughs> so yeah. that was my introduction to what to do about it, to wow. who to call on. Yeah. Concerning yeah. silence in the house. I, I look. I didn't even tell my aunt about it because I did. I thought she would think I was lying. Later on, when I got grown, I told my aunt and my mother about it when they I was old enough where I thought they would believe me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, those mm-hmm. are three of many stories that I have from my childhood of my quote ghost stories. <laughs> Remember, wow. you have three check marks by your name under wow. heading ghosts now <laughs> in our main wow. alley. Um, <laughs> no, I do. I, That's I don't three. That vivid, so I really appreciate those. Um, and even that though is they not, sound terrifying uh, when you're little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, they're terrifying uh, now. Say, what are you talking yeah, I'm gonna about? I'm going to say this. Right. right. I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done so somebody else could talk. I had those night terrors all the way up until the time I was 12 or 13. I came into the, my mother left the kingdom hall and we joined our, we, well, we didn't join the kids. Me and my brothers and sisters started going to the Baptist church where my grandma was um, because all our friends were going to the Baptist church. So we're like, yay, we get to go to our friend's church now. I came to a revival there, the Spanish evangelist that was doing a revival night, a cruise, whatever they did, those revival weekends and stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And um, I came through the door. I came through the door of the church and you come in this church, it's two rows up and then the pulpit is in the center. And I came in the back door and this man stopped in the middle of his sermon. And he said, you, you're not going to have those dreams anymore. You're not going to have those dreams anymore. And really, you were going back and forth between the spirit room and the natural room, and this is not going to happen. You're not going to be tormented by that anymore. I didn't have no more sense, and I barely dream now. I hardly dream, period, now. And whenever I dream, I pay attention. Is anybody else conscious enough to pay attention in their dreams? I don't know. That might be. Okay, so whenever I do have a dream, I pay close attention because it's so far in between. It always seems like it's a message or a warning or something I need to be aware of because I hardly ever dream at all. So awesome. Anyway, there's that. (laughs) That's cool. It makes me wonder, too, if maybe maybe down the road we could do another like a spinoff one on dreams. 
Because I think dreams mm. are actually significant. And Wendy, my wife, Wendy, she has a really a, a gift for d- interpreting dreams. Um, so she's done that for me and my mom and several other people. Uh, and she's really good. So yeah, dreams are fan- are really fascinating too. Maybe we'll do one on dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Dreams so are how I got my start into like the mm-hmm. physical. Yeah. Journey. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Put a pin in that. We'll do dreams down the road. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those are awesome, December. Great. Thank you for those ghost stories. Those are really cool. All right. Who else wants to go next? Who's got a good ghost story? You. Right, I just have one. I'll have one and I think I can do it um, pretty quick. I do have to do So, so on this one, I was about six or seven years old. Uh, we were living in Tennessee. This is where I was born. It's the first house I remember growing up in as a kid. Um, I have to give a little backstory before I tell you what, what it was, because it won't make sense if I don't tell you the context. So before I was born, my dad, when he was young, uh, like when my dad was like a teenager, um, his best friend in the world was this kid named Jackie McDonald. They called him Moose, but his name was Jackie. And um, my dad's all-time best friend, like his brother. And Jackie's parents owned a funeral home. And so when they, one of the jobs my dad had was he and Jackie drove the ambulance slash hearse for the funeral home in this little town in Tennessee. Like um, I think it's Memphis, Tennessee. And, um, or Madison, I'm sorry, Madison, Tennessee. Anyway, so when they had downtime and they were bored in between calls, my dad and his best friend, Jackie would like lay down in the, in the casket and take pictures and just goof around in the, in the funeral home, right. To kill time. Anyway, um, right before my mom, it's like a colossally bad idea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, probably. Yes. Uh, but they were, you know, they were kids. So, um, Right before my mom and dad got married, um, I mean, like weeks before. So Jackie was going to be the best man at, at my dad's wedding, mom and dad's wedding. Uh, but like, like maybe a week or two weeks before, he dropped dead. Uh, he had a brain aneurysm, just suddenly, boom, and he died. So my dad and my mom, my dad drove from Brownsville, Tennessee, where they were, to Madison, um, walked in the, the same funeral home because the parents own a funeral home, walked in the funeral home. And Jackie's laying in one of those caskets, just like they were when they were goofing around as kids. And my dad turned around and left. He said, I can't do it because I just keep, I keep expecting him to sit up and laugh and say, it's a joke, right? It was just too much. So my dad didn't even go to the funeral. He just couldn't do it. So anyway, that my dad experienced this loss even before I was born. Okay. So there, so that's important to know because this is what happened to me when I was like seven years old. So um, I also had a bunk bed. It's really weird. I don't know why my parents bought a bunk bed because I'm an only child, <laughs> but I used to, I had a bunk bed as a kid and I always slept on the bottom bunk. Well, at this age, I slept on the bottom bunk. Later, I slept on the top, but I was in the bottom bunk. And so the top bunk is over me, right? And so mom, my mom puts me to bed. She tucks me in. There's a little lamp by the bed and there's a closet like kind of right across. Like if I turn to my right, there's a, there's a closet there. I bought my toys and stuff. So she, she, my mom is sitting on the bed, you know, Blah, blah, blah. Now let me down to sleep. Kisses me on the cheek. Good night. Turns off the light. Walks out. Closes my door. Three, two, one. The closet opens. I mean, it was that mm. fast. I didn't have time to fall asleep. Ooh. It was literally like, lights are out. My mom goes. The door closes. Click. Boom. The closet opens and a man walks out. And I'm frozen. Oh, I'm frozen. Yeah. Like, what? What the hell? Who is this guy? What is he doing here? And he's looking around the room like he's trying to find something. And he ends up going up to the bunk bed and he, I hear him moving the covers and the pillow around and like, he's trying to find something. And then he kind of like stops, puts his hands down and he kind of, and he goes, 
like he's disappointed, like he didn't find what he was looking for. And, and, and by this time, I'm holding my breath. I can't breathe, right? Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, I finally, I have to breathe. So I kind of like, like that. And he looks down at me and he sees me and he kneels down by the bed and he goes, um, he goes, are you Gene's boy? And my dad's name is Gene. And I said, yeah. And then I think he said something else. I honestly can't remember. He said something else to me like that, but it was really kind, whatever it was. It was really kind of nice. And then he just stood up, walked back in the closet. And I screamed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, and so my, I'm screaming bloody murder. My mom, my mom and dad run in. What the hell is going on? Now, literally, my mom just left the room, right? And then I'm screaming. And I tell her what happened. Well, they look in the they look in the closet. There's no one in there. So I sleep I sleep with my nightlight on the rest of the night, right? Because I'm not I can't go back to sleep. All right. So fast forward like about a week later, we're going through. I'm sitting on the floor with my mom and dad. We're flipping through photo albums, and we we come to a photo, and the they my my it opens up, and I I see a picture, and I I point to the picture. I go, <gasps> I go, Dad, that's the man in my room that night. That was Jackie. I had, I had never seen Jackie. I didn't know who he was. Wow. But I, when I saw his picture, I was like, oh, that's the guy that was in my room. And my dad just like, he shut that photo album. <laughs> and he was like, okay, we're done. So that, that was pretty significant wow. because I didn't know the backstory. I was six years old, seven years old. I didn't know anything about Jackie. I didn't know that whole story. And the, but the fact that a few weeks later, I'm like, I see the picture and I'm like, oh, that's the guy. So, so I guess, you know, my dad's best friend, um, came and visited me and said hi to me and, and then went away. So that is why I wonder story. what he was looking for. I, th- I thought he was yeah. looking for me. My sense was he was trying to find me. Um, and he wanted to say hmm. something to me. So I don't know, like I, it was something encouraging, like tell your dad, you know, I miss him or, or whatever it was, but it was something kind of like a nice, like a blessing or something. It was, wow. Did you ever go in that closet again? Oh Yeah. Sure. Didn't it didn't freak you out afterwards? No, the closet isn't what scared me. It was just like some guy in my house. <laughs> it was the man in, in the closet, <laughs> Katie. <laughs> Open that door and been like, what the hell's gonna yeah. be here today? Yeah. <laughs> so so I was I'm I'm pretty confident because of the backstory and because like I, I was clueless as a kid. I didn't know what I was pointing to. I didn't know the significance of it. Um so yeah, that that felt like a pretty real ghost story to me. Yeah. That's amazing. Very, yeah. That's amazing. So I have uh, two ghost stories, one of which, uh, so neither of which happened to me. I want to be really clear on that. Um, the first story is, and Katie, I think you know Al, um, Janice and Fred's daughter. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, a kind of congregant slash friend. Um, that sounds like I have less healthy boundaries than I do, but a <laughs> colleague, friend, um, the daughter of some congregants that I had. Uh, she had grown up at First Christian Church of Oakland. And when she was a little kid, she had this imaginary friend, Terry. And like, they had an intense bond. Yeah, some people do. But like, so intense that according to Al's mom, Sometimes Al would come into the, you know, one day Al would come into the kitchen and be like, it's Terry's birthday. You didn't make Terry a cake. You need to make Terry a cake. Um, And by and large, Janice is not somebody that you tell what to do, including, you know, if you are her eight-year-old daughter. Um, 
But every once in a while, there was something that Terry needed and Al demanded it. Um, And then, you know, imaginary friends go away. You don't think about it very much. Al goes away, uh, goes to college, comes back as an adult and visits um, First Christian Church of Oakland on Christmas Eve, you know, big service. And she catches the glimpse of a girl through the, you know, there's a little glass window pane on a door towards the front of the church. She catches a glimpse of a girl and she turns to her mom and says, mom, I didn't think there were any kids at the church right now. Like church has gotten older, not too many kids. And Janice is like, nope. And Al's Al's like, she looks real familiar. She looks, I can't figure out. And then finally Al's like, that was Terry. And she goes into the hallway and there is no child to be found, but it was the child who had been Al's imaginary friend all those years ago. So that story is kind of a standalone, and I really hated Al for telling me that story because I lived directly below that hallway where she oh. saw Terry because I lived in Jesus. the basement of the church when I was pastoring there. Now, what I think is fascinating is, you know, that's a story. I don't know verifiably what happened, but... Our church got broken into, and we had a bunch of nonprofit organizations sharing the space with us. And they said, let's do an interfaith blessing of the space. Because we had people who were, you know, Yoruban priests and uh, and indigenous practitioners and Buddhists and Christians. And, and so we broke up into different groups. And I walked through the lower level with a couple of folks and we kind of prayed over the space. Um, the group that went with the indigenous practitioner, uh, smudged the, the perimeter of the building. And one of the groups was working on the main level. And when we all came back together to check in on how the blessing of the space had gone, one of the leaders who had been on the main floor, she said, no, it was a really beautiful experience. We each, you know, prayed from our different traditions. And she said, but there's this one corner right by the front of the sanctuary, it's messy. We just couldn't clear that space. And it was the space where... Spiritual? mm Mm-hmm. And it was the space where Al saw Terry. And uh, my friend Alan worked in that building. And he said anytime... He would only go in that particular part of the building during the daytime. And he said, anytime I clean up around there, I have to stay away for about a week before I can go back. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Because whatever's going on there gets really disrupted because that's their space. Hold on. Wait, I've been in this building and I'm trying to picture where this is. So um, back by the baptistry, um, there's a little hallway that goes behind the baptistry way up at the front of the sanctuary. Those hallways are spooky. Those hallways are spooky. Just in yeah. general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ernie was always convinced there were dwarves that lived back there because there was a tiny little door. Um, but... Honestly, in retrospect, he was picking up on some energy. Um, Anyhow, that, yeah, that was something that stuck with me largely because multiple people who didn't know that story experienced that energy in that particular pocket of the church, two flights directly above where I slept. Um, Mm. See, that's what's cool uh, about that is the the people who are unaware of the other people's stories who do encounter, you know, spontaneously and... Yeah, just on their own, the same kind of mm-hmm. energy in the same kind of space. That's really cool. Yeah, creeped me the heck out. I, I think what's uh, maybe even a broader 
interest to me is that it didn't have to be you had multi faith practitioners in there yeah. and they're picking up on this spirit. Mm-hmm. That just also says to me that we can be so narrow about everything Christian right, and right. everything, you know, only just, just, just this one God and just Jesus. And it, you know what I'm saying? Apparently yes. they were in tune with something. Yes. Right. I think that's absolutely yeah. right. I think yeah. that's absolutely right. So the other story I have is there was a group home next door to the church uh, for LGBTQ youth who had been thrown out of their homes. Um and our church had a relationship with them. They, they were just a really beautiful group of youth. There was one in particular who uh, attached to me largely because when he said, when he was forced to come to the Christmas party at the church, he was like, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And we were all like, yep, we know. And he was like, wait, you know that? Because his previous <laughs> church experiences would not have been like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so we kind of bonded. And one day he shows up on my at my front door uh, in the apartment downstairs at the church. And he says, my roommate's trying to get me thrown out of the house. And I said, why is that? And he said, because whenever I'm in our room, stuff flies around the room. Wow. Mm. Whoa. And, you know, I knew the people who ran the place and they said, um, it's not safe for the kid he's rooming with. And he's the one. So as far as they were concerned, all the evidence they had was he's got to be throwing the stuff and the other kid just doesn't notice. Whereas the kid was like, I'm not the one doing it. And the other kid was like, he it's absolutely his fault, but he's not throwing stuff. Right. So, um, wait, 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 wait. So the, the other kid, poltergeist, yeah, the other kid is saying it's his fault, like he's in the yeah, room. Yeah, because he's, he's the one who it, brought the poltergeist into the room. I got it. Yeah, whatever's doing it, it's coming yeah, with him. Yeah, but the roommate is like, I do not need to deal with this, and you need to get rid of him because he is the problem. Not because he was throwing things, but because he's the one that brought he, the poltergeist with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So, That's amazing. Yeah, and so I talked with a mutual friend of Katie's and mine who um, – you know, this is well outside my field. I don't play around with or uh, with exorcisms or anything like that. Um, but I was like, I'm not even sure if I believe in that stuff. But I know Jeannie does, and Jeannie will absolutely do an exorcism for me. But before we could get Jeannie in there, because she absolutely was willing to, uh, he got kicked out of the program. Never saw him again. Broke my heart. Wow. I hope he found someone to help him so we didn't have I to do too. following him around. Probably. I know. Yeah. So <clears throat> I wanted to tell that story second because, Matt, I know you have an equivalent story that has a slightly different um, outcome. Uh, yeah. So I, I have like, I have two, I guess, encounters. I was tempted to tell a story about Dungeons and Dragons and then it would end up being Stranger <laughs> Things and see if you guys picked up on it. Right. Um, so I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. No. Um, when I was younger, I had a debilitating fear of demons and being possessed and going to hell and Armageddon and all that. And I also had um, sleep paralysis and the two often yes, were coming. too. Yep. scary as shit right yeah, yeah. Um, that's terrifying. especially yeah. when you have like a demonology that's literal that they're like um yeah. obviously holding they're pressing you down, holding you down yeah so i had one experience where uh and i vaguely remember it some of i think i think i think i've built some memories based on my parents testimony yeah um, but i was running around the house yelling snake eyes and there's snakes coming so i used to have these 
vivid dreams of of um, like hell coming into our world. Yeah. Um, like I'd be at a department store or the park or whatever, snakes, spiders, scorpions, creatures, whatever. Yeah. Um, and my parents like held me down and I was like screaming at them. I didn't recognize them until I finally woke up. Um, I had a lot of that uh, growing up. Um, I mean, we'll get into theory maybe later, but um, I don't, I no longer believe in literal demons and those don't happen anymore. So maybe there's a correlation there. Yeah. No, um, but my, yeah, I, I tend to think so. When I stopped but, believing in those things, I stopped having those experiences. All right. Huh. Um, my group home story though, I, I worked at group homes for a long, long time, like foster, um, foster agencies, um, but, but in group homes where kids, you know, either couldn't be placed in a foster home for whatever reason. Um, we had, (laughs) this was a, um, co-ed one. So boys and girls, which really bad idea. (laughs) Looking back, like we gave ourselves a lot of headaches, didn't we? Um, we had this girl, she was probably like 15 or 16 and she, the thing is she was like a, a notorious liar. She would lie about everything. Um, but one time I go, I think it's to get them like ready for school. They're all like older kids. So you kind of just like, Hey, get ready. Um, and she's just laying there flat on her bed. Like, like she pressed herself into the bed and it's super cold in her room, which is probably maybe the eerie part. I don't know if she had a window open. I don't remember what time of year this was, but I was like, this room is significantly colder than the rest of the house. And she's just like, there's like, there's something pinning me, pinning me. And she just kept saying this like over and over and over. She's like, get it off, get it off. And I was like, I'd come walking. No, don't come in. She's going to kill me. It's going to kill me. Um, The whole time I'm like, yo, just stop. Like whatever attention, what do you need? Like what attention do you need? Like I, I probably wasn't doing the best time, job of like validating her because she had this history of like, you know, quit fucking with me. Like, <laughs> yeah. but there was this sense of like, well, maybe something's really like pinning her. Yeah. And so at the time, like I was still an evangelical. So I like, I prayed, mm-hmm. nothing happened, prayed more, nothing happened, prayed more, like more like earnestly, like clench your fists together. <laughs> and then, and then she was like, oh, it came off. It got off me. I was like, okay, well, maybe the timing. I mean, I prayed like eight times, right? And then finally, so it's like, okay, coincidence. But at the time, I was like, oh, my prayer stuck that time, right? So I delivered her. Now I'm like, uh, okay, I prayed eight times. What about the first seven times, right? But there was this sense of like eerie. And I don't know if I was feeding off her or what was going on there. But it was like the only encounter where I've had where it's like, Something could have happened, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know. This girl lied about everything. She could have been playing me to not go to school or something. Right, but it was cold in the room. Which that that detail, it was cold yeah. in the room, and yeah, I think that, I can't think pick that part. Yeah. Well, and yeah, she couldn't have turned the air on in that room, and I don't. It's this is Chico, California. Like most of the time, it's yeah. not cold. No. And I remember thinking like it shouldn't be cold, even if they had the windows open, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't be like oh, it's forty degrees outside. It was probably like a hundred already. In the yeah. So that was weird. That part, that's, that's, I think that's the part that got me like, I think you're bullshitting me, but why is it like 30 degrees colder <laughs> in here? <laughs> it shouldn't like, be 30 degrees colder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that might have been an angel in Chico just come in to make your life a little easier. And she was just misinterpreting, you know, she was just paralyzed by the cold. <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe, maybe the angels. No, I don't. Show. I don't mean to minimize it because it sounds. You know, no, it sounds. It, I mean, yeah. if she if if she wasn't bullshitting, like she was terrified, yeah. or she's a really good actor, but I don't know. But yeah, she seemed to be well, really, really genuinely scared. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I I think it's interesting that uh that you had a difficult time believing her, given that you had a experience where your parents were trying to pull you out of something. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting. You said you were screaming at them and, you know, you didn't recognize them at first. And I, I, I think it's a little interesting that you struggled with, with her experience, giving your own experience, unless you had put it so far away from you by that time. Um, yeah, it had been 20 some odd. Yeah, it had been 20 some odd years. But, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I, I think my, my problem, though, was our history. Like, she had been in that house for like a year, um, bullshitting us the whole time. Uh, it wasn't abnormal. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It was, yeah, yeah it, she had a history of that. Was that was the hard part? But then again, the cold. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I think I think you know if you're talking about a group home, you're talking about a lot of trauma. A lot of things mm-hmm. go on. People bring a lot of stuff to that to those yeah. spaces, yeah. and there's a lot of different people in those spaces. Like we had kids just cycle through. Some yeah. would stay for a few years. Some would stay a week, yeah. and they'd they'd have to be placed somewhere else. So. Uh, there's some, there's a lot of juju in those places. I'll be yes, honest. A lot of juju. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, when I've been thinking about my story, I think that's where I'm kind of um, like struggling, you know, despite kind of what I do for a living, which is help people through a lot of this kind of thing. Uh, I actually don't do a lot of ghost ghosts. And I, it's like every story I can think of, I actually wouldn't call a ghost. I would call it something else. So mm-hmm. I think that's what we're probably going to talk about in the next episode is like, yeah. what is all this anyway? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll say that I've been, I've, I like ghost stories and I always have. Like when I, I have this memory of reading a novel when I was um, in third or fourth grade, uh, in the bathtub, something I still do. Uh, and I was, but it was a ghost story, like a young adult ghost story. And I was in a really scary part and the water dripped on my foot. Mm-hmm. And I like yelled bloody murder. <laughs> it scared me, <laughs> but it wasn't like I saw a ghost. I was just in the moment, you know, in the story. Um, Shonda and I, like a long time ago, like 16, uh, 16 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. um, we're driving across the country and my now spouse, said oh when you're in san antonio he's from san antonio when you're in san antonio you just stay at the emily morgan hotel so like, just treat yourself to a night maybe i think he actually booked us in he I paid he for did. it so we would have a special treat yeah like instead of staying in the motel sixes where we were staying the rest of the trip and like the night before we got there he was like oh and by the way it's haunted and i said what oh. yeah it, was, it has been featured on ghost hunters and stuff yeah right? i mean like oh, yeah well, and I like, I oh, that, by the way uh, it really was and he was like oh by the way it's haunted have a great trip <laughs> that's cold-blooded oh man <laughs> so we get there we ask at the front desk we we're like is this place haunted they were like oh yeah completely completely <laughs> and they were like and they were like yeah it's a former hospital you're staying on the psych ward yep oh, great. floor no, and we were like get the <laughs> and so when you get there like when you get off the elevator you can see like the circular desk that was the nurse's station like wow. it's been converted into something. So yeah. I had no ghostly experiences, but I did not sleep at all nope, that night. Neither like, of us slept. Not like we got up, we had to drive 12 hours the next day. And I'm like, this is going to be long. We got to go get some caffeine. Um, <laughs> but I've had, I would say I've had some, I, I know a couple of people who had like really, really trustworthy, very skeptical people who've had fascinating ghost stories. Like I have no, no reason to doubt them. They, they're like, I have no rational explanation for this. Um, I would say I have in the house I lived this the house I lived in in Chico the last house that I lived in 
my spouse and I both experience like a depression on the bed. Mm. Yes. I, yes. I Several times. That. And like, you, it's that kind of, I mean, it was sort of like a classic ghost story. It was a scary story where I'm like, oh, that must be the dog. No, the dog is on the other side of me. Asleep. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, the dog must have just jumped on the bed. It wasn't mm-hmm. that. But they were never yeah. particularly scary. They just yeah. kind of happened. Like, I more observed them. Yeah. Um, I could have gotten into a scary state, but um, I'm pretty good at setting good spiritual boundaries. So I'm like, if you're friendly, you're welcome. If you're not, like, you got to, like, we, we, there's no space for this. Don't know if it was a ghost or something else. I do know once... <laughs> Um, and in that house, in the middle of the night, I was walking just down the short hallway from the bathroom to the bedroom, and I heard a Katie Valentine oh. out loud. And I was like, it woke me, I mean, it startled me wide awake. You know, I was like, whoa, what was that? And I was just like, okay, I'm listening. Whatever this is, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if there is something I need to know, tell me. If not, I'm going back to bed. Mm-hmm. And I just went back to bed, you know, after about an hour. Wow. With the light on, I think. Yes, uh, I bet. That, that <laughs> night. Uh, so the case, but it was like, and I, I, it's pretty, I would say just spiritually, emotionally, it's pretty rare for me to hear yeah. things like that's only happened to me like two or three times. Um, and this was the only time like in the middle of the night. So that like, that was a little scary. But um, other than that, any other experience I would have would say, I would say was not a ghost, but a soul coming with an authentic yeah. Connection, mm-hmm. like a soul to soul connection, but not a haunting. Mm-hmm. Right. Or right. not like not an unresolved thing yeah. that needed to be mm-hmm. like communicated. Yeah. So I, I feel I like that I Terry's thing is unresolved. The, the, yeah. The, that's why I like, that energy. I'm like, yep. what happened to yeah. little Terry up in that church? I know. <laughs> she, she can't yeah. leave. What's going on? There were a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of, there was a lot of spirit energy in that building, but it was by and large very benign. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that was yeah. the one exception. No, I've I've had a the the depression on the bed, feeling like someone sits down on the bed. I've felt that. Um. And I think I said this before we hit record. Um. But my mom. So my dad passed away like three years ago or so. And and um. Since then, at least two or three times, my mom, very matter of factly, you know, we'll have her over for dinner. And, and very matter of factly, she'll say, yeah, last night your dad came and, I, you know, he came and sat down on the bed. I felt the bed go down. I felt him lay down next to me. I felt, I heard the covers. He put his arm around me. Um, and a couple of times they've even spoken. She'll be like, what are you doing? And he'd be like, you know, just laying next to you. And she's hearing his having conversations with him. And it's not scary, but it's like, he just kind of once in a while will show up and come and visit. But that happened to me once here at our house um, where I was laying on the bed uh, by myself, just like taking a nap or something. And I totally felt someone sit down, um, at the foot of the bed. And then I felt uh, like a hand on my shoulder. I mean, I rolled over quickly, like what the hell, like who touched me? And there was no one there. And I felt like it was my dad too. So that kind of thing has happened. I, my, my mom did have, um, after my grandfather, which was her father-in-law after my father's father died like six months after he died she had she was like yeah i don't know if it was a dream if it was happening in real time like she can't quite describe it which tells me that it's not a dream yeah right because it feels she was like feels like a dream but also like it was really happening and uh where he came to visit her just to tell her everything is okay i'm fine yeah you know with my you know with my i guess my grandmother who i never knew um but that was a very comforting experience you know it wasn't a it wasn't scary 
Right. It didn't no, have that. Go- it doesn't have that ghost energy, yeah. but like this kind of supernatural something. Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't scared either. It, it really did just feel genuinely like my dad came and sat down and put his hand on my shoulder, and I, I did roll over to see who touched me. But when I realized no one touched me, it was just kind of like, "Yep, I guess that was my dad." <laughs> okay. Getting your attention. Mm-hmm. That's sweet, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So it yeah, sounds like in our. It sounds like in our next episode, we're going to need to pick up with what is a ghost? What is a soul? What it, you know, yeah, sift what through. Spirit. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a marked difference Demon. between, yeah, there's a marked difference between like December's, December yeah. stories and Terry and like Casper friendly. Yeah. Okay. Kind of energy. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also, yeah. yeah, there's different theories and, um, and I've heard different theories and I'm sure we all have different theories. Like, is it, is it genuinely the actual soul or spirit of that actual dead deceased person coming back? Um, is it demonic? Is it, uh, you know, is it something from another dimension? Like who knows, or maybe, maybe it's possible. It could, depending on the context, it could be all three. I know one thing I, I, uh, the spirit realm is real to me. I know there's a lot of people like, Oh, that's just all this or that or imagination or the, but if you actually experience that stuff in real time, you can't, it's almost like when you see something on TV or the internet, you cannot unsee it. Mm. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. unexperience it. That's and exactly so then right. you can't, you can't divorce yourself from the reality of it. Cause you existed in the, with the reality of it. <laughs> you know, like I said, that's one of, that's why those experiences that I've had very frequently in my childhood and now not as frequently, but still existing in my adulthood inform my belief of God is I cannot deconstruct down to there is no God. I just cannot. Because there's too much of him in my the diaspora of my the timeline of my life. There's too much. Uh, so, um, what to do about it? What he is? What his role is? What my relationship is? All that kind of stuff that we could always talk about and explore that and define that further. But whether or not it is real, that's not in a question for me at all ever. Whether or not it's real. Yeah. What you experienced? So, yes, no one's going to convince you. You can't undo it. Because they're unexplained. Um, and I, I think I really enjoy that some of these, like especially Keith and December, your stories happened when you were little, yeah. but they're still like, I haven't heard, I mean, I think it's natural to sort of question them some, but like, why not believe kids? Like you were old mm. enough to know December, like that felt like a woman that like Keith, you were like, this is what he looked like. Like, there's no reason not to believe that. Like, right. and I, I know when I look back on my childhood, I can, I can now discern the difference between, no, I remember that very vividly and the things that are very fuzzy where I might've been filling in some gaps as a kid. Yes. yes. I think exactly. they should absolutely be believed for a lot yeah. of reasons. Um, one kids are not as cluttered in their yeah. spirit and their mind and their thoughts and emotions as we are. By the time we get to this age, we're carrying around a lot. We're carrying around a lot in our mind. We're carrying around a lot in our thoughts. We're carrying around bills, mortgages, deadlines, work, relationships, responsibilities. They're not carrying this weight that, you know what I'm saying? Maybe they can hear because there's not so much noise in their head as ours. Maybe they can see because there's not so much clutter in their vision as ours. Maybe they pick up more in the spiritual realm because they're not as spiritually clouded as we are. I definitely believe kids when they say they've seen something. Yeah. <clears throat> or heard something. And I've conveyed that to my children because Olivia has a tendency, my daughter has a tendency to see things and her, her, she's having some of the stuff happen with her that I had happen with me. And I, I told both of my kids, if you ever see something or whatever, if I will, be, I told, I told this, I've 
literally what I said verbatim to my kids. I will believe you. You can tell me I will believe you. It doesn't matter how crazy that it sounds. If you tell me, I'll believe you. That I told that to my kids because I was afraid of not being believed when I was a kid. Right. So I just tell, I told them that outright. I'll believe you. Well, this is a great series. It's a great way to kick it off. So we'll uh, looking forward to doing this again uh, and continuing the series. It's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Actually, I'm I'm excited and creeped out. You know, when you start talking about stuff you haven't talked about in a while, and now I'm like yep. looking behind me, like if something gonna come out that room back now. I'm the only one in the house. I don't watch horror movies for that reason. I'm like, I'm not gonna pay somebody mm-hmm. to scare the shit out of me. Then I ain't yes, gonna pay them money. So I can, Remember so what I, can, I said about sage last time. You can go mm-hmm. get some sage. Yeah. Okay. I'm about to and all other kind of stuff. Uh, but what you all could do is go check out our website, www.heretichappyhour.com. And there's uh, supposed to be allegedly some ghosts in the store of things that you could buy, like pillows and cups and things like that. Uh, there's yes. some things that you could download. Um, some information. You could take the quiz to see what kind of heretic you are. I think that's still there. And, um, so anyway, go check it out, heretichappyhour.com. Um, after you cover yourself in prayers and pillows, um, come on over and tell us your ghost <laughs> stories at our free Facebook group. It's for everyone. It's called Heresy After Hours. Um, <laughs> we just got a note that the website is undead now. <laughs> yeah, it's basically dead, but you can go visit it. Heresy <laughs> <laughs> After Hours is very much alive, though. We do. I do yes. actually love to hear your your ghost stories yeah. there. Um, so just join the group; it's free, and then tell us what they are. Yes, and um, I just want to say, if you support this podcast uh, through Patreon, thank you so much. It means so much to us, um, and uh, we are thrilled to be able to record extra bonus content for you. Go and check that out. Hey, uh, don't. All right. <laughs> yeah, there, baby. There you go. And, uh, but if you don't, if you don't support us yet on Patreon, please head over there, Patreon.com/slash/HerticHappyHour. Not only will you be supporting your favorite podcast, you'll also unlock all kinds of bonus goodies, and you'll get exclusive access to our private Facebook group, the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So go do that. If you decide to rate and review us on your favorite podcast uh, outlet you will be protected from all of the hauntings. But if you don't sign up for, uh, if you don't rate and review us, I'm pretty sure you will be haunted. Definitely going to be haunted. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. You will be haunted for the rest of your the bad time. Not just by remorse. <laughs> this is a verbal chain letter from Shonda. It's going <laughs> to happen. Right. You must do a rating or else. <laughs> I'm not going to be good I, for you. Actually, I think if you don't rate and review and support us on Patreon, Yes, tonight you're going to be haunted. The rating and reviewing is kind of like an exorcism. It is an exorcism, yes. Yeah, it it, it purges the ghosts. You must do it for every episode. (laughs) Well, Jesus, this comes out by fasting and praying. This, we're talking about, is rating and reviewing. Got it this way.